Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. How good of a Christian do you believe you are? Well, today you can find out. Dr. Rocky Ramsey speaks today on how to be Christian. What does the Bible actually say about God and salvation? You'll find out. It might be different from what you've heard in the past. Today is an incredibly important message. The difference in understanding what I'm going to talk about today is the difference between going to heaven and going to hell. The stakes could not be higher. The truth is there's a lot of preachers and churches who claim to preach the gospel who don't really preach the gospel, at least not all of it. I'm sure they mean well, but they're mistakenly misleading people in their churches. You'll see how prevalent this is as I go through the message. Normally, we talk about a person becoming a Christian. The New Testament doesn't do this. The New Testament talks about people being Christian. We talk about this one-time life event where we do it and get saved. Jesus and the apostles taught about this lifetime of commitment where we're continually devoting ourselves to following Christ. If you study the words of Jesus, he, he never invited people to one-time decision. He invited them to know him, to follow him, to love him, to obey him. He didn't make Christianity about something you once did. He made Christianity about who you now are, who you are becoming, and who you will always be. If you've been around here long, you've heard me say this. If you did what you should have done, then you're becoming who you ought to be. If you're not becoming who you ought to be, then whatever you did, it's not what you should have done. Because a bunch of you were told to go down and you went down to pray that prayer and you prayed that prayer. But it never changed you. And this morning, maybe you'll understand why. I want to begin with some misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian. And then we'll look at what the Bible actually says. Being born in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian. Now, President Obama claims we're not a Christian country, but even if we were, being born here would make you an American, but it does not make you a Christian. Being born in a Christian home or to a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Have two daughters, they were born to a pastor and his wife. It didn't make them Christians. It gave them, all, all, obviously, ample opportunity to know about Christ and become Christians, but they're not Christians because they're my children and they were born uh, and lived in our home. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a church member doesn't make you a Christian. Now, you ought to go to church if you're a Christian and you ought to be a member of a church if you're a Christian, but you can do both and not be a Christian. Being baptized or confirmed doesn't make you a Christian. This now we're gonna get tough on you. Believing in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. James 2.19 says the demons believe. In fact, they believe more than anybody in this room believes. So obviously, believing in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. There's more to it than just that. Believing in the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. All kinds of people say, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, I believe the Bible. They've never read the Bible. Not all of it. There might be something in there about a one-eyed, one one one-horned, flying purple people eater. 
There isn't, but it could be. You never read it. It might say if you have problems, you, what you need to do is sing ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, ting, blah, blah, bing, bang. It doesn't, but it could. So why would you say you believe something you've actually never read? Now, the truth is you have to believe the Bible to be a Christian because the Bible tells you who God is and what God has done. But all kinds of people would say they believe the Bible who've never read the Bible. Doesn't make them a Christian. Going down front and praying that or the sinner's prayer doesn't make you a Christian. In the New Testament, there was no down front. There was no altar to be called to. There's not one example in the New Testament of someone becoming a Christian, are you ready for this? By praying a prayer. Not one. Isn't that shocking? Especially since in a lot of churches, that's what the whole thing's about. Getting someone down front to the altar to pray that prayer. And then you read the Bible and you think, you know what? That's never really in there. Jesus never asked anybody to pray a prayer. Nor does the Bible teach that a person becomes a Christian by asking Jesus into their, quote, heart or life. Jesus doesn't live in our blood pumpers. Romans 8 tells us that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We're born dead in sin, trespasses in sin. Our spirits are dead, the most inner part of us. They're disconnected from God. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit your spirit, and then you are born again. And now you have life. You've been regenerated. But the Bible never says to ask Jesus into your heart or even your life. We've all heard Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. That passage is not even to an individual. It's to a church. Now, if you keep reading, it's good stuff. It says, and I will dine with him, and then he will dine with me. Now, that is Christian. Because what that's saying is, when he gives me what he has, then I will give him what I have. When I give myself to Jesus, then Jesus gives himself to me. He becomes ours after we become his. Probably most all of us have heard a preacher talk about making or asking Jesus to be our Savior. Do you know there's not one example of that in the Bible? Not one. Every time the word Savior is used, it's mentioning God, describing Him, God our Savior. Jesus our Savior, our Savior Jesus Christ. It never says, ask Jesus to be your Savior. It never says, make Jesus your Savior. Some of you don't believe me, get a concordance and check it out. You'll find out he never said that. What he said was, follow me. Obey my Father. You'll see today that Jesus becomes our Savior when we make him our Lord. Now, this misuse of biblical language has resulted in probably millions of people who have attended church and don't anymore, or who still sit in churches every Sunday, who think that because they went down, they prayed that prayer, that they now have an irrevocable ticket to heaven. That because they've been told in Baptist world, once saved, always saved. Now, I believe in once saved, always saved, but I only believe it if you really got saved. It's far better described as the perseverance of the saints. 
Which means that if you're one of the saints, you persevere, you continue in the faith. You continue to walk with Jesus. If you don't persevere, uh, then you ain't a saint. That's what the Bible teaches. You'll see that this, this Sunday in a couple of weeks. So, uh, uh, and by the way, I said that baptism service was next Sunday. It's two Sundays away. I'm sorry. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to know for certain that you're a Christian. These kind of people think that once you're saved, they can kind of do anything they want to do. They think that actually following Jesus, actually obeying Jesus, is kind of a post-salvation option. So you want to get saved? Well, sure I do. Well, okay, now you're saved. You got your ticket to heaven. Once saved, always saved. No matter what you do, you're still going. Sins are all forgiven. Now, if you would like to, you can really follow the Lord. Obey him, do what he says to do. But, you know, you don't have to. You still got your ticket. There's nothing remotely close to that in the Bible. Too many of us have gotten our doctrine from what somebody told us, not from what the Bible actually says. They think we can make Jesus our Savior live as we please. Preachers teach this all the time. Jesus never did. John the Baptist never did. The apostles never did, but we do. So we're going to look at what the Bible actually says. You should get your beliefs from the Bible, not from denomination, not from a church, most definitely not from an experience, not from a friend, not from a preacher, not from me. You ought to get what you believe from the Bible. So let's, let's look at what the Bible says. Number one, each of us is born a sinner. Each of us is born a sinner. Romans 5, 12 says that through one man, Adam, death entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, once Adam and Eve sinned, we all were born sinners. They were, they were created innocent. They sinned, became sinners. And everyone since then has been born a sinner. How many of you had to teach your small children to be selfish or say no or have an attitude? I bet you didn't have to teach him that. How many had to teach him to sneak and lie? You didn't have to teach him that. Why? Because it's in them. They're sinners. I'm one, you're one. We're all born as sinners. In Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. In the Greek, the word all means all, every one of us. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of being like God wants us to be, which is like himself. Now listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We don't do what we do because we choose to. We do what we do because we are something. We're sinners. We're broken. Each of us is born a sinner. Number two, each of us is condemned before a holy God. This is a problem. God's not a sinner. He's holy. We're all sinners. And that puts us in a bad place. John 3, 18. Everybody reads John 3, 16, but they quit reading. 3.18, Jesus said, he does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what it pays. So the, problem, the result of sin is we're, we, we're dead spiritually. We're disconnected from the God we were made to know, the God who loves us and wants us. We stand condemned before him. It's not like one day, if I live my life bad enough, I'll get the thumbs down sign. No, I'm born with a thumbs down sign. I'm born in a bad place. I'm a sinner. Now, number three, even though God is holy and we are sinners, he still loves us. 
This is incredible. He's holy. We're sinners. He has every reason to dislike us, if not hate us. And yet he loves us more than anybody will ever love us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet the most wonderful people and so lovable to everybody, Christ died for us. Is that what it says? No, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he's good. His love for you has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with his performance. God loves you. He loves everybody the same because the way his, his love for all of us has nothing to do with us. So somebody says, well, who does God love most, Billy Graham or Adolf Hitler? The answer is he loves neither more because God's love for Billy Graham had nothing to do with Billy Graham. And God's love for Adolf Hitler had nothing to do with Adolf Hitler. It had to do with this God and who he is. Everybody in hell is loved by God. Now, so that's good news. God loves us. The bad news is it's not enough. It's not enough. Number four, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. So why do you believe that? Because he said it. John 14, 6, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to get there. It's Jesus. Acts 4, 12 says there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is not the best way to heaven. He's not one of many ways to heaven. He is the only way to heaven and to God. He's it. Most everybody in this room has a cell phone. You gotta dial the correct area code and the correct next seven numbers to get you, right? There's one way to get you on your phone. There's one way to heaven, it's Jesus. You say, well, isn't that being a little narrow? Well, Jesus is narrow. Being God, he can be that way. He's the only way to heaven. Number five, Christ died on the cross in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven by God and have a relationship with him. He died on the cross in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven by God and have a relationship with him. See, you couldn't solve your problem because you were your problem. We're all sinners, we're all guilty, we can't fix this. So someone who's not guilty could come and die in our place, God could punish him instead of us, and then God could let the guilty go free because he punished a non-guilty person in their place, which is exactly what he did with Jesus. In 1 Peter 3, 18, it says, Christ also died for sins once, one time for all, everybody, the just for the unjust. He was just. He was righteous. He was sinless. We're all the unjust, unrighteous sinners. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God takes our sin, puts it on the sinless Jesus on the cross. Jesus suffers our hell so that now we could be forgiven. Now tell me if you can find a better deal than this. You get to trade your sin for his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal. Number six, eternal life is a relationship with God, not something we once did or now do. 
It's a relationship with God. It's not something we once did. I did it. I went down, I prayed that prayer, I got baptized, I joined the church. Or something I do. I'm checking all the boxes. I was at church on Sunday. I've uh, I read my Bible this week. I put a little money in the offering. Whatever. It's not a to-do list. It's a relationship. John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you don't go to hell when you die. It's not what he said. This eternal life, that you go to heaven when you die. That's not what he said. This is eternal life, that your sins are forgiven. Isn't that what it's all about? That's not what he said. Now, all those things are true. But this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's a relationship with God. We'll say, how do you have a relationship with an invisible God? The same way you have with visible people. You spend time together, you talk to them, they talk to you, you do things for them, they do things for you. Every real relationship you have has those five components. If you don't have those five components with someone, you don't really have a relationship. You might have in the past, but you don't now. It's a relationship with God. It's not doing some things, even though you do some things. It's knowing someone. Number seven, knowing about God in Scripture does not make a person a Christian. Knowing about God in Scripture does not make a person a Christian. You can know everything I've said so far and not be a Christian. You can sit down with your five-year-old or your six-year-old. You can teach them all these facts, but it doesn't make them a Christian. In Mark 12, 34, Jesus has been asked, what are the great, you know, what are the great commandments? In fact, he asked the guy that, and the guy says, love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. This guy, he knew all that. And then Jesus says to him, look at this in Mark 12, 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. When you know what you need to know to be, to be a Christian and follow Jesus, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But knowing what you need to know is not enough. This guy did, but it wasn't enough. He was close, but he wasn't in. Number eight, salvation is a gift of grace we receive, not a reward that we earn. It's a gift of grace we receive, not a reward that we earn. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not a result of works. It goes on so there's no man would boast. Now here's what grace means. Grace doesn't mean I have permission to live any way I want to. I've got my heaven ticket and I'm going. Grace does not mean that sinning doesn't matter anymore. It's all covered by the blood and it, God doesn't care what we do now. Doesn't mean that at all. There's nothing in the Bible even close to that. What grace means is you did not, do not, and will not ever deserve it. No matter what you do, you still won't deserve it. You deserve hell. You're a sinner. You're a rebel. And it means you can't earn it. No matter how good you are, no matter how many sermons you preach. If, if you get saved, it's because of what Jesus did for you. It is not about what you did for him. You get that? It's a gift. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do some things. In fact, if you keep reading in your Bible, the next verse says we're his workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul's not saying that it's just grace, you don't have to do anything. 
What he's saying is, it's grace. Do everything you can possibly do. It's not enough. Only Jesus can do what's enough. And that's what he did when he hung between heaven and earth. The God-man, the man in him representing mankind, the God in him representing God. And there he sealed the deal, said it is finished. Number nine, we receive God's gift by making Christ Lord of our lives. We receive God's gift by making Christ Lord of our lives. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In the Greek, it literally says, Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's talking about lordship. In Mark 8, 34 to 35, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So somebody said, well, I thought all you had to do is pray this prayer. You don't have to do anything else. Well, not according to the gospel of Jesus, not according to the gospel of Paul or Peter or James or anybody in the Bible. That's just not in there. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have heard something like that? All I got to do is pray this prayer and I'll be saved. And then I'm going to heaven pretty much no matter what else I do. Come on, raise your hand. Probably the biggest bulk of you if you've been in church since you were a kid. Now, there's something we have to do. Again, when we have done what God expects us to do, we still don't deserve it. And we still can't earn it. We have it because it was given to us as a gift by the one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now, number 10, many people are deceived about their faith. Many people are deceived about their faith. Jot down 1 John 2, 19. We'll look at that next week. But that's a verse that says, if you ever drop out of church and don't go back, it's proof you're not a Christian. Now, because of the way Baptists have preached over the years, we've got, we've probably got millions of people at home who, if they have a Bible, couldn't find it, unless it's one of those big family Bibles to keep out for show, who, who never darken the door of a church, who never think about God until they need him, and they think they're going to heaven. Well, the Bible says they're not. Read that passage. And then here Jesus is talking about, he's not talking in this passage about church dropouts. He's talking about people that are neck deep in the church. And look what he says. Matthew 7, 21 to 3. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but here he is, he who does the will of my Father. I thought all I had to do was pray that prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer, is that, not, is that not enough? No. I asked Jesus to forgive me, is that not enough? No. Read your Bible. These are the words of Jesus. Anybody got a better opinion? He who does the will of my Father. Not who did it. Not who claims he's going to someday. He's doing it. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. And then watch this, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? I mean, these aren't just churchgoers. These are church superstars. 
These aren't your marginal people slip in and slip out of church and have nothing else to do with it. These are people who have been on the stage. They've had reverend in front of their name. They may preach on the radio and television. They claim to have worked miracles. Verse 23, and I, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why? Why practice lawlessness? Because that goes back to that doing the will of his father. That goes back to him being Lord, not just a savior who gives you a heaven ticket no matter what else you do. Jot down Matthew 12, 50. There Jesus said, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's my mother, brother, sister. Jot down Hebrews 10, 26 to 7, and then verse 31. And there it says this. We'll look at this next week probably. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, so in other words, we know what we ought to do, but we just keep sinning there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. Verse 30, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, if you say you believe your Bible, that's what your Bible says. It does not say go down front, pray a prayer, and you're, you're done. I went down front, I prayed a prayer. I wasn't done, I had just begun. Obeying Jesus isn't part of the Christian life. Obeying Jesus is the Christian life. Christian means Christ one. Somebody like Christ. Not somebody who claims his name. Now number 11. The proof of salvation is a changed life, not a past act or decision. Now, some of you have been led to think this way. Well, you know, I know I'm saved because I remember when I went down. You know, we were singing, uh, the preacher had preached on John 3, 16. And we were singing just as I am. If I remember right, this was the 48th time we had sung. 48th verse we were on. And he said, if, I, if, if uh, I didn't, if nobody came, he'd stop. And he said, the buses would wait for us, okay? And so I went down. I remember it. I remember he had a three-piece suit on. He had a tie that didn't really match it. And he was wearing high karate, not brute. Well, you must be saved if you have a memory like that. Did you miss any of today's episode? You can go back and listen to this episode and many more on our podcast. Just search Coryton Cast, that's one word, on your favorite podcast platform. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CoryptonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.